Hey everybody, welcome to He's a Giant. This is our post-game recap with Monty and Sal after the New York Giants' week two stunning victory in Arizona against the Arizona Cardinals, where we just saw one whopper of a game. The tale of two halves, where the Giants found themselves trailing twenty to nothing at the end of the two at the end of the second quarter, uh, down a total score of sixty to nothing on the season in the first six quarters played. Everything looked like a disaster, and then surging back to the second half to score 31 points to just fend off the Cardinals 31 to 28. So wild ending, wild game, but ends in a W. Monty, let's get your thoughts on this one. Yeah, man. I mean, you kind of said it. I mean, it was a, a Jekyll and Hyde type game. I mean, the first six quarters of the season, even, I mean, we lost 40 to nothing to Dallas. Then we were on track to lose 40 to nothing to the Arizona Cardinals, which is one of the worst rosters in the entire NFL. I mean, Josh Dobbs, who it'd be hard to argue against, is probably the least talented starting quarterback in the NFL. He He's never like won a, a game. <laughs> yeah, he looked like a like modern-day Joe Montana out there. He was absolutely <laughs> shredding our defense. He was running all over us. It, I mean, we weren't getting a pass rush. Uh, Daniel Jones was struggling. He was missing passes. He was missing reads. It, you know, there was a pass to Darius Slayton that if he hits him in stride as a touchdown, and instead it was an incomplete pass. There, before that, uh, Jalen Hyatt was running wide open down the field, and he totally didn't even see it. So, you know, it was looking like week one all over again, except the offensive line was actually giving Daniel Jones time and he was still yeah. struggling. But um, you know, second half, totally different story. I mean, I we I definitely still have some criticisms on our defense in the second half, but Daniel Jones stepped up and he looked like how he did versus Indianapolis or Minnesota last year. I mean, he had three touchdowns in the second half it was probably one of the best halves of football he's ever played. So I mean it you know, we we were on spaces a little bit before, and I was talking about, I mean, if you just extrapolate the second half, we would have scored 62 points to 16 over a full game. Like, that was one of the best halves of football we've ever seen after probably the first worst six quarters I potentially have ever seen of the Giants. So it was, you know, it was a lot of a lot of positive and a lot of negative with this game. So it was an, it was an roller coaster emotions. What do you, what do you got on it? Yeah, I'm I'm kind of still grappling with what my final take on this. I mean, at the end of the day, it's a win, right? It was a must-win, too. A must-win, yeah. And I think, um, you know, talking on Twitter this week on Spaces, I think a lot of people make a big de- made a big deal of like, oh, no, it's it's not a good win unless you, you know, unless you're you win comfortably. And I kind of pushed back on that idea, and I said, look, I don't care if they win by thirty or if they win by one. A win is a win. Because you just need this one. Um, a, a loss is is epically disastrous in this game, and you need the wins. Just get the win. Focus on the rest of it later. And I think I have to be true to my statement on that. Like at the end of the day, they got the win. Um, mm-hmm. So all that matters, you notch a W, and you got you got one on the board, and you're one and one on the season. And your season's not dead because it looked like it was on the verge of being dead. And, you know, if they lose. Sorry, if they lose the way they were they were looking to lose with the schedule coming up, that season would have got away from us fast. 
even if they came back and lost, right? Even if yeah. they had a valiant comeback and fell short, you're still 0-2 with a loss to the Arizona Cardinals who are basically trying to tank. Yep. Um, maybe not the players, but the, the front office is absolutely trying to tank for Caleb Williams. That's pretty obvious. Mm-hmm. And then you're facing a tough schedule. So getting the win was imperative, and they got it to their credit against all odds. They went out there and got it. At halftime, I was tearing them to shreds. Um, not going to lie, I got up there at spaces, and I was angry. I was angry as a yeah, fan. I, I heard could, you. I could, yeah, and I, I think a lot of people were. And, I was, and I, my, yeah. my thought process was, and I'm not going to hide behind it, I – I still have concerns about the, the roster construction, the flaws in it. I think there are some real weak spots. I have a lot of concerns about this quarterback um, mm-hmm. in terms of whether or not he's truly the guy that's going to get us to the you know to Super Bowl contention. Um, and my view on it was, if we don't come back and win this game, we should be looking at this roster and just selling it off. Because if you can't beat the Cardinals, what are you doing? You're not a competitive team, and we have a lot of veterans who – are on expiring deals who we should seriously be considering moving if we're not going to be retaining them and if they're not helping us win this year. Uh, and I was already kind of there mentally. To their credit, they fought back and they won and they staved off that conversation at least for another few weeks, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, so good for them. Uh, but I was impressed with the second half. I, I was very impressed with how they came out slinging, you know, right away, the deep, the deep ball to Hyatt. To get that yep. drive rolling right right out the gate, and then Daniel Jones the fourteen yard scramble for the touchdown to get him down twenty to seven, um, and then Arizona came right back and marched right down the field and put it in for eight because they went for two, and at yep. that point, I mean, everybody like it kind of took the wind out of yourselves. You're like, all right, we're fighting back. Oh no, they scored again, and you're thinking this defense just can't stop them. And they ran up all over us. Yeah, it was the same as the first half where they're just. Running at will, passing at will. It, it was our defense was nowhere to be found. Um, but to the credit of our offense, they just kept clawing back, kept playing. and then finally the defense I think took cue, and they started holding their own and, and getting stopped. And every time we got the ball in the second half, we scored a touchdown until I think yep. the last until the last drive where we methodically drove down, milked down the clock, and got the Graham Gano field goal to win the game. Yep, pretty impressive. But um, you know, like I said, at the end of the day. Very impressed. Um, I'm not going to shy away from my reservations about the roster and some of the players on it. But today, they played fantastic. In the second half, they won the game. They deserve a lot of credit. That's all you can do. You tip your hat to these guys and say, that's a phenomenal performance. You keep your heads high, and you live to fight another day. Um, before we get into some of the details of the game, um, do you have any more kind of over- overarching thoughts about this one? Yeah, man, man. I mean, they deserve credit. They deserve all the credit in the world for that second half. I mean, that was a a big win by this coaching to come out and be able to rally this team. And for the players, you know, you know, we said it after the first game. It's about how when you get punched in the face, how you react. And they did not react right away in yeah. the, that Hess game. But it got worse and worse. They got the shit beat out of them for six quarters, and they reacted. And they reacted the best possible way you can. You got to give them credit for what they did. And you got to carry that over. But that's definitely what this team needed. And with the schedule coming up, you had to win that game. and what you were talking about with selling off this roster, that was the likely result if they lost that game. Yeah. Just based off momentum, based off of what they were facing, having an extra loss, and just being under 
pressure with the trade deadline coming off after this tough schedule coming up. I think that's where it would have gone. It still could go that way, but it's, the, it's definitely less likely than it was, you know, at well, half not, time. Well, it's certainly not happening this Tuesday. Um, no, and I no. think that, you know, like, or I think the conversation would have absolutely shifted to that if they lost this game. Like, where are we going with this? Mm-hmm. We got a tough schedule coming up, but before we go into the tough schedule, um, you know, you have to ask yourself, what changed at halftime with this team? Like, what happened? And usually you hear guys say that the whole concept of, you know, in-game halftime adjustments is not a real thing. Like, they go into halftime, they're just kind of, they're just kind of getting a break. And they're, you know, they're just preparing for the second half. There's not necessarily this gigantic coaching shift. But there are some clues that there might have been in this game. I mean, um, Brian Dable denied it. He denied it after the game. But it sure looked like he was calling plays and that he took over play calling in the second half. And there was a dynamically different approach to play calling in the second half versus the first half. But, you know, know, it it sure looked like he took over and we started going more vertical. But, you know, he he said I didn't do it. But, you know, he's not the best liar in the world. Yeah. And, and I think the, all the people who were watching on TV were like, then how come your mouth was covered for two hours with, with you know, the play card in front of you, hiding and look like you're moving your lips, speaking yeah. to the mic? Like, so what are your thoughts on that? Do you, number one, do you think he actually did take over full play calling? And what does that bode for the future? Sure. So I do. I mean, I, maybe I just have a shitty memory, and maybe all the Giants fans have a shitty memory, but I don't remember him like being on the sideline with the play playbook in his hand, covering his mouth, looking like I don't think I've seen that before. So, I mean, it sure seems like it. Um, I know he denied it as he should. I mean, it's just going to be unneeded attention on Mike Kafka on him, uh, and you know, credit to him if he did to you know. Have the balls be like, hey, this isn't working. I'm taking it over. We got to win this fucking game. And, you know, credit to him to do that. I definitely think he did. I think it's similar to, you know, I think week one last year, uh, Daniel Jones throws an interception. You see him screaming on his face in the sideline. The media I, I, asks him about it. Yeah, he's I like, oh, no, I was yelling in my headset. He didn't have a headset on. <laughs> right, right, right. He's a, he's a terrible liar. Yeah, uh, so I think it's that type of thing. But um, as far as Should we read into forward, it? Yeah. yeah. Um, for me, I still make, think Mike Kafka is a fantastic coach. I think he's – I don't think he's going to lose – play calling responsibilities like that. But I mean, it certainly puts him a little bit on the hot seat with that. And I would say that he, it's going to be a lot of work with them together to prepare Kafka for this game, analyzing what he was doing wrong and preparing him for the future. I think he's a good coach and come back from this, but uh yeah, it's not a it's not a good sign for for Kafka. I'll, I'll say that much. What about you? What's your opinion on it? Yeah, I think Mike Kafka gets a little bit too much heat from our fan base. Last year, people mm-hmm. were calling for his ahead when he really wasn't doing anything wrong. I think we were just running to, running into defenses that were kind of catching on to our limited personnel related offense. And at the end of the day, we won ten games, including the playoff game, with Mike Kafka calling plays. With I yep. think what most people feel was you know as much ju- squeezing as much juice as we could out of the offense, given the limited personnel. Um, yep. I think he's a good offensive coordinator. I think he's a good play caller from what I can gather. Mm-hmm. I got the impression that if, if it's true, and I think it is true that Dave will take over play calling. This was, um, 
there were there were clues leading into this game and during the game that sort of spoke to the dire straits they felt they were in if they lost this game, right? I mean, mm-hmm. there was like, a, and we can get to this next, but like the dramatic shift in the offensive line and the personnel, yeah. um, the way they call plays, uh, some of the some of the personnel groupings, uh, but the fact that like I think I, I think it speaks to Dable feeling like I w- I don't want to use the words hot seat, but I think he was feeling the heat come at him in terms of the, the, the possibility of going from coach of the year and like a really positive first year to like getting smoked against Dallas, getting smoked against Arizona. And he just thought to himself, I can't go down without taking the reins myself here. Yep. Um, that's probably, if I had to guess, that was his mentality. Like, I know how to do this. I've got to take the reins and take responsibility for this myself. And if we go down, I, I think if they lost the game and his play calling didn't work out, I, I actually think he would have just said, yeah, I took it over. And mm-hmm. and it didn't work, um, but I think he just took the reins and decided I'm gonna I'm gonna try to go down swinging. Whether or not they continue that, we'll see. I think people are clamoring for Dable to continue it, but yeah, we'll see. We'll see what happens. Um, let's talk about the offensive line. Um, one of the reasons I was pretty livid at halftime. Um, well, let's give background. Obviously, you and I have been big on concerns about the way they prepared this offensive line during training camp and preseason, the line rotations, the guard rotations, the strange way of setting up blocking schemes, not getting guys in unison. Definitely we're not fans of Bobby Johnson. I'm still not a fan of Bobby Johnson. Um, but they came out before the game and it was announced that Andrew Thomas was not playing, which I agree with. Right call. I think that was definitely the right call. Um, that Josh and I thought, you know, you shouldn't need Andrew Thomas to beat the Arizona Cardinals. Josh Rizzuto played left tackle, which we kind of expected. Um, but, you know, they had Ben Bredesen at left guard and, and JMS at, at center, but they moved Marcus McKeith to starting right guard right off the bat um, yeah. out of nowhere. Uh, although I think there was some speculation that he might get the job if Glowinski struggled, but I guess they had seen enough. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they were like, we're making a change. And Evan Neal at the right side. Um, from what I saw, despite how atrocious our offense was in the first half, that, that offensive line looked really good in the first half. Like they were solid. They were giving Jones a pocket. They were giving him a lot of time. Mm-hmm. They were they were setting up running lanes. It, the offense just wasn't clicking. But it had nothing to do with the offensive line, in my opinion. I don't know if you saw it the same way in the first half. Yeah, for the most part, I thought there was some uh, mental errors on the offensive line. I think. Zudo let up a sack. Um, I definitely saw Neil just kind of just let a just totally miss somebody coming through. But for the most part, especially the interior offensive line, based how it's been recently, mm-hmm. I felt like they did a good job. I didn't. I mean, I'll lo- I'll look at the game again. I'll look at what like PFF puts out and things like that. And I'm looking right. forward to at lo- what uh, Bobby Skinner and Nick Filato put out, all that type of stuff. But Marcus McKeithen, to me, I. I didn't notice anything that was negative from his from his game today, which you know that's a good thing when you're offensive line is you know people aren't calling your name. Uh, I mean, Bredesen got hurt, so that that sucked. Um, but and Glinsky immediately struggled when he came in. Um, I saw that too. But it's interesting. I it's be, it seems like McKeithen did enough to keep that job. And oh, yeah. uh, I hope so. Yeah. And it, especially with Bryson Hurt, it's going to be interesting if uh, Zudu moves over maybe left guard and you have both of them on either side of uh, JMS when AT gets back. should be interesting how it feels moving forward, yeah, I, but I was I, happy with it. 
I thought McKeithen played really solid. And to your point, the ent- the entire interior of the line until Bredesen got hurt was was pretty stout, um, and it just provided a pocket because even with you know. Neil has his ups and downs, although he played a lot better in this game, I thought, than the Dallas game. Mm-hmm. That might just be yeah. the difference in quality of players he's playing, but still, he looked better. Yeah. Um, like I said, like you said, I'll wait for you know Bobby Skinner and Nick Filato to break down his actual technique and his reps. Um, mm-hmm. Same thing with Azudu, but he, you know, I wasn't hearing Josh Azudu's name get called too often. Like He seemed to be holding his own at left tackle. Even when they were getting beat around the edge, they were not getting beat inside. They were getting kind of beat around the edge for the most part. Yep. And yeah. with the with the oh, interior sorry. of the line holding up, it, it gave Jones a pocket. I mean, that's the mm-hmm. thing, right? Like, even if, if there are edge rushers who are going around your tackles, if your interior holds up, you have some room to wiggle. You have some room to maneuver and step up and make throws. And he was able to have that. Didn't translate to any real production in the first half. And I think that was just, again, like, he just was really bad in the first half. Daniel Jones was awful in the first half. Um, the offense itself just wasn't clicking at all. Um, but in the second half... I felt like the offensive line played about the same, but all of a sudden, the, like it clicked. It clicked for Jones. It clicked for the receivers. The vertical game took off, and you saw like what these weapons that they brought in could do. You know, you saw Jalen Hyatt and his speed, and how that stresses defenses mm-hmm. on the po- on the you know on the post that he uh, that he ran and caught. He had so he had two receptions for eighty nine yards. A very Jalen Hyatt yeah. experience. That's what we right? expected. We talked about it. <laughs> Um, and the post, that first catch, he ran, I mean, so I went back, Next Gen Stats had something he posted, I saw Justin Penick post it, but basically, if you look at the play design, he lined up in the slot, they played him off-man coverage, so he had a runway, he wasn't getting mm-hmm. pressed, he took off, and he just ran, like, the skinniest of posts, and he just, he had inside leverage, he ran right past the, the cornerback, he's, he's running at the deep safety, who just can't catch him. And he goes mm-hmm. right around him and goes and blows right past. Him. And that's what Jalen Hyatt can do to defense. It's like he's not this great route runner. I know there are people who are on the spaces who are saying, Oh, he's got to be on the field constantly. I'm like, eh, he's not there yet, in my opinion, as yeah. a route runner. But when he's out there, if you can get him a free release, he stresses the defense so much. He just outruns everybody. Like there's nothing fancy to it. It wasn't like incredible route running or anything. He's just a gazelle. And he takes off and all you have to do is just lead him with the football and he's going to outrun everybody. And that's kind of what happened on that play. Um, the second pass was a little bit more impressive where he actually was being covered pretty well. And he did something we saw a lot of in college, right? He was able to use his height. He high topped the ball, um, caught it with his hands. He did that a ton at Tennessee. He was a good hands catcher. People were surprised in spaces like, oh, wow, I saw him moss somebody. They saw him use him. He's, he looks like he has strong hands. I'm like, well, yeah, he had that at Tennessee. Like, that was not a surprise. Yeah, very strong um, hands. Then, you know, for a, for a vertical receiver like that, you don't typically see strong hands like that. And that was a big positive for him. Yeah, so he was a big impact player. And then, obviously, Walt, once he had those plays, like two plays, you saw the yep. middle of the field open up. And Waller, yeah, all, eight. Yeah, he was just destroying them over the middle of the field, getting tons of separation, you know, making play, play after play. Um, and to Daniel Jones' credit, he was just he was just shredding that defense in the second half. Mm-hmm. He was just finding guys open in the middle of the field, just destroying them. So insane. Um, but like oh, I said, well, I'll just close out with the, the offensive line stuff. Yeah. If I think they have to leave this line intact, personally, the way it is right now, um, I am not a fan of playing AT in San Francisco. Um, 
I'm, I'm still, you know, unless he's 100%. If he's 100%, sure. But if he's still yeah, nursing yeah. any soreness or pain in that hamstring, I would sooner let him get that full two extra weeks of rest and be ready, hopefully, for Seattle. Um, and I'm okay with just rolling out the same line. If AT is playing, though, and Bredesen's out, and you have to imagine that he's not going to be available with concussion protocol by Thursday, um, I think they will move Azuda to left guard and play McKeithen. Then you're going to see the two kids from North Carolina playing like significant roles on the interior right away, which should be interesting to watch. Yep. But uh, but uh, go ahead. What are their thoughts, Jeff? No, I'll just I'll just finish off on that. But I where I say I agree, and we'll see where AT is. But you know, when you're going to a Thursday to a Monday night game, you got a nice big break there. You ideally would want to use that for somebody as important as him to get healthy. But We'll see what happens, but I agree with you. We've got to leave it intact, I think. But um, what I was going to say, though, is you can, we're kind of touching on how Jalen Hyatt and his speed stretching the field kind of made a big difference how this offense worked in the second half. Another take I have that I kind of noticed, I felt like, you know, versus Dallas, for example, you know, Daniel Jones used his legs a lot in the first half, uh, that first drive. But after that, Dallas was basically able to completely stop him from running around. And he yeah. didn't run a ton in the first half of this game. I really feel like, which is, you know, a you know a good thing and a bad thing, because if teams can stop it, it seems like he struggles. But it seems like when Le- Daniel Jones is best when he can use his legs. And when he is running and, you know, getting yards on the ground, it seems like that changes how defense has to play him. And if he can continue to capitalize on that, that is when he's at the best. That's when I see Daniel Jones succeeding. So. I felt like that was a big difference in the second half for him. What do you think on that? Yeah, no, I think that's clear. Like when, when Jones is able to utilize his legs effectively, then defenses have to pay attention to it. They essentially have to have a linebacker or a safety dedicated to him. And mm-hmm. it just I think it just naturally opens up more space in the middle of the field, right? Yep. So if you've got vertical threats who are threatening a safety on one end and they're worried about Jones running on, on you know run pass options or on zone reads – um, it's occupying a defender. So you've got one deep defender occupied with a guy like Hyatt. You've got somebody getting occupied worried about Jones. All of a sudden, there's not as many guys who are able to crowd the middle of the field for guys like like Darren Waller and guys like Paris Campbell. And we might see guys like Wondell Robinson if he's activated this week or the coming week, which I think fundamentally is how this offense is basically designed. It's designed to open up the middle of the field for Jones by utilizing a combination of deep threats and Jones's Jones's intrinsic running ability, and obviously Saquon Barkley's running threat, I think that's it's meant to open up the middle of the field. This was an offense that's like completely predicated on the middle of the field being open for guys to get separation and, and cause damage. So um, I agree with you. I think once he was able to use his legs, it was very difficult for that Arizona defense to defend everybody, and it really opened things up. And to Jones's credit, he was finding guys left and right. He was picking them apart in the middle of the field, and it was just explosive play after. I have to look up the numbers. I don't know how many explosive plays they had, but it looked like a lot in the second half. Yeah, it just felt like they were getting two of them a drive. It was insane. Yeah, they were getting the offense. It felt like they wanted to have, and you know, it's a good start for moving forward and see if they can keep it up. Let's move to the defensive side of the ball. Um, yeah, Great. maybe not as encouraging. Certainly not in the first step. But what are you know? Um, what are your thoughts on the defense and what you saw tonight? Sure. So, I mean, there's definitely some positives to take away from the defense, but I think the number one thing that pops off the page for me is that we, again, 
couldn't get to the quarterback. Um, and our biggest players couldn't get to the quarterback. I mean, I know a lot of people are worried about Dexter Lawrence. He definitely didn't have the type of game that we would want to see from him. But he was like the only guy in the defensive line who showed up week one. People forget that he had two QB pressures in that game. Um, even when we were getting our ass kicked. I'm not worried about Dexter Lawrence, even though he yeah. hasn't been the other player. Um, but what I am worried about, I am starting to get worried about Kayvon Thibodeau. Kayvon Thibodeau was was a non-factor game. He was getting blocked by tight ends. He he had a QB hit, but that was basically the only thing he did all game. He had no tackles. And even more is Leonard Williams. Leonard mm-hmm. Williams, he didn't even make a he didn't even appear on the stat sheet this game. He didn't he didn't get a QB pressure, he didn't get a QB hit, he didn't get a tackle, he didn't do anything. And if you watched him, he was getting dominated. He was getting pushed all around by fucking Will Hernandez. Um so yeah, I don't know. I mean he's 29 years old. I don't know if he's if he took a step back. He got injured last year. I don't know if that had effect on him. But when you're playing next to a guy like Dexter Lawrence, who commands as many double teams as he should, he does. He should be able to capitalize on this. And and it, I don't want to overreact to two games, but the way he's playing at this point is it's going to get to a point where I would rather Jordan Riley on the field, and if I would rather Jordan Riley on the field. I'd rather just cut bait and get whatever cap savings I can get at this point from you. I don't want to go quite there yet, but it's been that <laughs> bad so far. What, what, so what about you? What yeah, you gotta... I, I, you know, there's nothing to say that's positive about the defensive line the first two games. And I'm, I've been a big Kayvon Thibodeau fan and defender um, against what I think sometimes is is a aggressive criticism of his um, coming up with what I thought was a pretty good rookie year. But the reality is he's not able to defend himself with the way he's playing. He's not generating any pressures. He's not generating any kind of real pass rush. And you're, like you said, I mean, I saw plays where he was being, like, quote, double team, but the double team was like a, was like a tight end. Mm-hmm. Moving him to the side and, like, maybe like a backup running back, like, you know, a running back acting like a backup blocker just in case he got around it. And he wasn't even beating the tight end. Um, nope. and it was concerning. Like you would expect him to just toss those guys and, and go, or just go right around them. Um, Aziz Ojolari, like, like he didn't play in this game and we could have used him, but that's a concern. I mean, he missed a lot of time with injury last year and we need him for a pass rush and he's not on the field already. Mm-hmm. Um, I, yeah. I have, I, I definitely have concerns about the defensive line. I will say this. Over the summer, when news broke that Daniil Hunter was on the market, both you and I kind of were banging the drum to say we should trade a second and go get Daniil mm-hmm. Hunter and give him a, give him an extension because he's such a good defensive end slash edge rusher. He can play like yep. any defense, and he's a menace as a pass rusher. Um, and I think there was some pushback to that from a lot of people who were like, "Well, you got to let your guys develop," and to that. I always say you never have enough pass rushers, right? Even if you're pass one of those are, possessions. Yeah, even if your pass rushers are doing great, like you need waves and waves of these guys to, to stay fresh and keep attacking quarterbacks. And if you have a guy like Wink Bartendale who'll sometimes use these, you know, NASCAR slash race car packages where he's got mm-hmm. four, sometimes five outside linebackers on the field at the same time. Like you need as many of these guys as you can get. Um 
Daniel Hunter has four sacks through two games. He had three sacks in one game, this last game against uh, Philadelphia, where he was just owning Lane Johnson the whole game. Um, Best right tackle in football. Yeah, and he dominated him. And yeah. how how good would our defensive line look if he had just had that guy mixed in, right? Just just mix mm-hmm. him in. And, you know, and he's getting a passer. So, like, we are, you know, we didn't, it's a criticism of Joe Shane, honestly. We went into the season with the same guys without any depth, kind of hoping that the guys we had would develop, which they still could. It's very early. Mm-hmm. Um, but they don't have depth behind them. And they didn't address it in the draft at all, which was somewhat shocking. Um, they mm-hmm. didn't address it in free agency really at all. They made sort of a you know late trade in camp for Boogie Basham, but he is not a pass rusher. Yeah, um, and I think uh, Isaiah Simmons is somebody they see in the positionless defense that kind of also assist with that. I think it was kind of like a team effort between those two to try. He to... wasn't on the. I mean, I don't know how many snaps he was on the field. I didn't see him. He made a couple yeah. of plays. I, I really didn't see him having much of an impact. Mm-hmm. I saw. I saw Michael McFadden resorting back to being Michael McFadden. Sadly, yeah. Um, you know, I, I think uh, he's a limited player. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I but, mean, I thought I thought the first game Mike McFadden played well, and I thought this game he had some flashes, but I definitely saw him miss some tackles. He let up that touchdown to Marquise Brown. That was his coverage. So he's um, not good in coverage. You just can't be trusted in yep. coverage. Um, and and that's the thing. Like we don't have depth at these positions. We need an edge rusher, um, or we need a pass rushing interior defensive lineman. We need one of the two in the worst way. And to me, like. Let's assume for a second we're not so bad that we're staring at quarterback in the first round, which you know, hopefully yep. is not the case. Mm-hmm. It's becoming pretty crystal clear to me that the team, that the most glaring need for this team is not wide receiver. It is yep. pass rusher. It is pass rusher. And, I mean, it could be one of the edge rushers we just discussed on our last pod, guys like Jared Verse or Chuck Robinson. Um uh, Layatu, Latu, you name it, right? Whoever, uh, Braylon Trice. Or it could be an interior defensive lineman who has incredible pass, pass rushing chops. Um, a guy like Leonard Taylor, you know, um, yep. or somebody with big upside, or, or Zerjan Newton. But it's becoming pretty clear to me that this is where this team needs to be in terms of getting talent. Um, I don't think Leonard Williams has a future with this organization. Uh, I really doubt that he's going to be back. I think if he, if he, I would rule out the Leonard Williams coming back and playing a lot better, you know, the yeah, rest I, of the year. I think he will. Um, I'm not feeling great about it right now. Right. And I just don't know where it leads to him ending up back on the Giants, you know? And so uh, it, it sort of puts us in a tricky spot with a guy. Um, I don't think I would cut him because we don't, yeah. I don't really think, I don't really think our depth can do anything. I mean, Jordan Riley was hurt in this game. Um, I, for or was he a healthy yeah. scratch? I don't even know. I I don't know if that either. Either I I haven't heard he anything play. about him hurt, but then he was scratched, so I don't he, know. He, um, I think he did. Sh- I want to say he showed up on the injury report towards the end of the week, um, maybe with something, and I thought it was minor, and he just wasn't playing all of a sudden. Um, so again, he's not a guy who's going to rush the passer. He's a run run defender and a very good one, but but you know maybe he can have more of an impact. Um, if he's on the field, we need help yeah. there. I, I was never convinced that our D line and our run stopping ability was fixed with the guys they added, and those are stopgap players anyway. They're not going to make a major long term impact. 
the best Giants teams we've ever seen have had waves of these edge rushers and pass rushers, just one after another. Yep. Um, something's got to give. Either we need more talent or maybe the guys we have don't match up well with what Wink Martindale's doing. It's one or the other, you know, or a combination of the two, just like we talked about the offensive line. But there's something wrong there, and they're not getting there. Um, and mm-hmm. I'm not sure what it is, but it, it needs some – it needs some addressing because you can't go through a whole season of football and get nothing from your pass rushers. Something's got to give. These guys either have to step up and get there or there have to be some sort of changes made or it's going to be really rough sledding. Um, the linebackers, I thought, were okay. They were really terrible in the first half. Like you said, there were yeah. missed assignments. Bobby O'Carrigue was sloppy, missing tackles, missing his gaps early on. Um, I think he got a pretty bad penalty. Um, yep, that pass interference that and then, wiped away and, Pinnock's interception. Right, and then, but then he turned it on like as the second half progressed. Like you could see mm-hmm. him like slamming into run gaps and just destroying guys, and, you know, who were trying to run up the middle. And he was a big reason that the the running game that was killing us in the first half just couldn't get going for Arizona in the second half. So every those guys played better in the second half, and on the secondary. It was sort of the same thing. Like Justin Pinnock was getting smoked in coverage over and over and over again. They were, mm-hmm. It looked like they were targeting him with uh, with Zach Ertz, and they were just destroying him. Um, and McKinney had some misses, but the secondary stepped up once again. The rookie corners, their names. I don't know about if you were maybe I missed it, but I didn't hear their names called a bunch. Um, yeah, Hawkins I mean, I think, let up a couple i think i mean he was there for that brown touchdown but again that was mcfadden's responsibility i believe um yeah but i'm not sure i i really didn't don't think we ever heard, we heard a lot of the rookie corners being the problem again which is again like no. a, it's a good quiet thing. good thing right you don't hear their names mm-hmm. and you're like oh these corners are doing okay like i didn't hear dory jackson's name i didn't hear the rookie corners names um so it was reassuring on that front for me at least but that defensive line, which we thought was the strength of the team, is very clearly the weakness on the defense right now. Something's yeah. got to give. Which is disappointing, to say the least. It is. What other thoughts do you have from this game? Yeah, man. I mean, to touch on a little bit of what you're saying, with, I mean, the run defense stepped up, but for how many, how aggressively we addressed uh, improving our run defense this offseason how bad they were for a team that was clearly committed to run the game, run the ball, and we knew they were trying to run the ball and they just couldn't stop them. It was really disappointing to see. It was embarrassing, but they did step up in the second half um, when they really did want to run the ball on us and we didn't let them. So that was a positive. Um, you know, it's so hard to kind of evaluate this game because we saw two different football teams, the first and the second half. Um, so yeah, man. Um, I don't have much, much else to say with it. We, we, well, where do we go? From, where do we go from here? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Where do we go? From, I think that's where, that's where this is leading into. Like what, what do you expect to happen? We got San Francisco on short rest in four days. Um, as far as I can tell, they're coming in healthy. Although they had a tougher game than expected against the Rams today. Uh, but still, they won. Yep. Um, tough team. Really tough, tough matchup. Um, brutal defense. I mean, if not the best, one of the best defenses in the NFL. They really beat you yeah, without Saquon, likely. Forgot to mention right, anything Sa- about that. All right, Saquon Barkley 
suffered some form of ankle injury. We don't know what it was. It's not a fracture, and they're saying it's not severe, so I'm guessing it's not like a severe high-grade, yeah. high-ankle sprain, at least. Um, I think but, it's going to be... I th- From what I'm hearing, it sounds like it's going to be a high-ankle sprain, but a mild one, which would still right. put him out to two to four weeks, but, probably. Right. Yeah, you're probably missing him for the, for like a lot of these critical games coming up, um, and we're going to mm-hmm. have to figure out our offense without him. But Modern NFL, you should be able to you know, you should yeah. be able to work without one running back, even if he's a great running back, you should be able to figure that out. Um, so you should be able and, to manufacture a run game of some sort. Yeah. And so, I mean, the question is, are we the team that did absolutely nothing for six quarters and got dominated? Or are we the team that looked lights out in the last two quarters of the game in Arizona? Are we something in between, and how does it match up with the coming weeks? Because our schedule is about to get really rough. We've got San Francisco in four days. Which I think we're, I haven't looked at the Vegas line, but I'm sure we're already like a seven to eight point underdog in that yeah. game. Um, we're coming home after that for a Monday night game against Seattle. Um, they won a tight game today in overtime against Detroit. Really, and and they can, they can put up points. You know, like they have a lot of weapons on that offense. You know, you've got JSN, who they just drafted. Obviously, they have DK Metcalf, Tyler Lockett. They have Kenneth Walker and Zach Charbonnet. They really have a robust, like, stable of horses, uh, mirroring kind of what San Francisco has, honestly, in terms mm-hmm. of offensive weapons. And Geno Smith, um, no offense. Came back to earth to, a little bit. Yeah, yeah, he has come back to earth, but he's still able to utilize those weapons to put up points. And yeah. he did pretty well today. So that's not an easy win if for us at all. Like that's a tough game, and then you're on the road against Miami, and you're on the road again for another. I think either a Sunday or Monday night game against Buffalo um, before you come back home to face the Commanders. You're talking about a rough stretch, and the question is, where do you see this team? I mean, if you're if you're looking at it with a crystal ball, I don't want you to look too far ahead and make too many proclamations if you don't want to, but where do you see us after like five or six games? What what are we hoping for at this point? So, I mean, it's hard to be super optimistic going into San Francisco, in my opinion. I mean, it's a Thursday night football game. Sometimes you, you can go off to the under, under the impression of those are trap games sometimes for the better team. So I mean, mm-hmm. be optimistic about that, but it's, you know, without Saquon, it could be tough. Um, I think, getting an 11-day break before playing Seattle, who has to come cross-country, and they've kind of come down to earth a little bit. I think that's a winnable game. But sure. again, the Monday the Monday night game probably helps them, too, because they are coming cross-country. So I think that's a game you hope to win, but I mean, that's not going to be an easy game. Um, Miami, that, that I don't think that game's going to go well for us. That offense is very, very good, and this defense is not been great it's gonna be hard to out out um out duel them i think but we'll see there and then i honestly think i've said this beginning of the year we'll see if we can get this thing back on track but i think buffalo is a is an interesting uh, potential upset for us i think uh i think things are starting to go downhill over there i think uh you're starting to see the writing on the wall with you know we saw the text out during the flores um lawsuit where Dable apparently wanted out even just as an offensive coordinator. Mm-hmm. Um, Leslie Frazier walked away um, and apparently, you know, he took away uh, Sean McDermott took away play calling from him in a playoff game. Um, it And with the way Josh Allen has been playing underneath Ken Dorsey, he doesn't look like the same guy. 
I think that's a game that that uh Dable wants to win really badly and knows oh, that sure. team. And, and I they think won 30, uh, they won thirty eight to ten today. I mean, they can't. They look like the, themselves against Las Vegas. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's it's Vegas, but still, I yeah, mean, they look pretty good. I, I think we're gonna have to be totally back on track to have a shot at at a game like that, and we have some yeah. time to get there. But that is a game that I'm. I I wouldn't say I'm optimistic for, but I'm more optimistic than I think most people are. I think that there's some, I could I see us fair. pulling that one out. Yeah. I think, I think the goal right now has to be your one and one, which was sort of the, it was essential coming into today that you walked away one and one, and it gives you an opportunity to try to get to two and two after four. And I think that's how they're looking at it. Whether you somehow pull off this incredibly improbable upset in San Francisco or you just come home and win a game where you're probably going to be narrow favorites in against Seattle um, is my guess. I guess I think we're going to be like almost pick them, but probably narrow favorites in that game. Um, I really feel like you have to get to two and two um, because two and two feels like you're still alive against a tough schedule. Mm-hmm. If for some reason we we're at one and three, I think the outlook one and three going into Miami and then Buffalo is a very different field than two and two. Another reason why today's win was so essential for this team, like they have to notch this because they had no shot at that if they didn't. But I I feel like I don't want to look ahead and pass San Francisco, but I really feel like the coaching staff might be thinking about this as like this game is tough to win. Like on short rest, we're banged up. This is a, this roster is significantly better than ours. Um, they are definitely they're a Super Bowl roster, and they're playing yep. you know at, at at like the highest level right now. Um, we're we're playing with banged up guys, and maybe have to we'll be forced to play Andrew Thomas potentially banged up, which I think goes to decision making. If if I'm Brian Dable and Andrew Thomas is not one hundred percent going into this game, I'm sitting him. I mean, you can make it a game time decision, but I'm sitting in because I don't think it's worth it. I think that the the potential risk to Andrew Thomas is too high in a game where the odds are. I, I don't want to say you're like not trying to win the game, but I think there's sort of like a a risk benefit assessment you have to do for this one um, yeah. in terms of who you're playing and who you're not. You're not going to be playing with Saquon Barkley. Um, you're already heavy underdogs. You're on short rest. You're it's 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 a tall task. So personally, unless Andrew Thomas is absolutely hundred percent, I'm sitting him. I'm letting the same line rotation roll out. Hopefully, Brenton's cleared. Although I think that's unlikely, um, given how concussion protocols usually work mm-hmm. you know, within four within three days. I don't know what they'll do to address left guard. Um, maybe they'll go with Matt Parrot at left tackle and Izzy yeah. at left guard. I'm not sure how they're going to handle it, but Lemieux maybe. They'll do something, you know, uh, but the mm-hmm. point is like, it's, it's going to be a tough task, All, but I think Seattle's a much more winnable game. You're at home, you've got rest, you've had a chance to let your guys get healthy. Yeah. I would be, I would be circling that game and saying, we got to try to get a W that night. And if that means I've got to rest some guys against San Francisco that might be borderline able to play. That's what it means. I, from a, from a game game planning perspective, I would do that to try to save the season, um, rather than try to put all my push all my chips into this game against San Francisco, where you're likely to 
face an uphill climb anyway, and it's risky. I will say tonight, I don't know how you felt, but I, I thought about tonight's win. I'm like, I don't know how I feel about this. Um, it gave me a lot of, and I hope people don't hate me for this, it gave me a lot of New Orleans 2021 vibes. Um, if you guys remember, we were 0-3. We came in with a lot of, we came into 2021 with so much hope. You know, we were, we were picked to win the division by a lot of people. Lost that first game. Um, I think it was Denver. T Teddy Bridgewater, if I recall, right? Um, mm -hmm. Lost, the, the second game was that game where Jones played really well against Washington, and we lost. Darius Slayton dropped that ball in the end zone. Um, and then that was the Dexter Lawrence all-start game on the kick. Um and then we thought, okay, we're definitely going to win the third game at home against Atlanta. And we lost that game. And all of a sudden, we were 0-3. And everybody had written us off for dead. And we went into New Orleans. And I think we were getting beat up pretty badly the first half, if I recall, of that game. And then came surging back in the second half um, with, you know, the Saquon Barkley go route that went for a touchdown, the John Ross deep ball for a touchdown. Kenny Galladay had a really good game. Kadarius Tony had a good game. Like, they were all playing well in the second half. And then we won that game in overtime. And we went, it felt like it saved the season at the time, right? You're one and three now. You've got some momentum. Daniel Jones is like, it's really looking good. And you're going up against the Dallas Cowboys in a week. You have a chance to punch them in the mouth and take your season back. And this sort of feels like we're in the same position. And the reason I say that, obviously, other than that it feels like that is, we went to that Dallas game thinking we could we could potentially fight back for our season and win this game, and we were that we were in that game, and we went into that game a little bit beat up. Everybody got hurt in that game. If you remember, Daniel Jones that's the day he got the concussion. Saquon Barkley got hurt. Um, I think we lost him for the season that game, if I'm not mistaken, or, or for several weeks at least. Um, not for the season, but we lost him for some time. Uh, Kenny Galladay got hurt in that game. Tony got kicked uh, out. Tony got kicked out. He had an amazing game. That was his big game. And then he threw a punch. And, you know, we fell apart and we lost that game. And then the the season just spiraled from there, right? It just spiraled downward after that. And it just feels like a dangerous game. And the way I'm looking at it is what killed us after that Dallas game was not that we lost the Dallas game. It's that we lost all our players. We lost a yeah. lot of players. And then we just couldn't fight back. And the season spiraled out of control, which is why I'm going back to this point of, if we're not 100% going to this game, there are guys who I might just say, I might have played you another day, but I'm not playing you on Thursday. Get healthy. Be ready for Seattle. Come back. If it means you, you lose the game, you lose the game. It's fine. You got you to gotta come away from these two games two and two. That's how I'm looking at this. I'm looking at it as a package deal. But anyway, yep. that was a long diatribe. Your thoughts on it? <laughs> anything? Yeah. yeah, I mean, I think, you know, aside from your thought process on, like, yeah, this is not an easy win to get. And even, you know, fully healthy, it's potentially a game that we probably are going to lose. That part aside, you know, when you're about to go into a bye week, the, the thought process always is, hey, if your guys are borderline, you, you kind of sit them so you can get yeah. the extra time to get healthy and come back. And that's kind of what we're about to go into. We're about to get an 11-day break between those games. Like a, you almost like have a mini to look at It's yeah. like a mini bye week, and I think you – with a guy like Andrew Thomas is so important. You got to look at this like you're going into a bye week. I think I think it's the same same type of thought process. So yeah. I'm with you. Um, you know, I think there's like I said, there's a lot that went out with this game. I think that uh, 
sure we'll have more to talk about this on when we when we meet up or later this week because there's gonna be a lot to break down here. But uh, it was a roller coaster of a game, I would I would say. <laughs> yeah, I'm actually looking forward to the film breakdowns from Nick and Dan yeah, from Blue Branter and uh, the O line breakdown from uh, Bobby Skinner on this one because I really want to see the tale of the tape tell like the story of the first second half and how it played out in all these different facets of the game. And if they see a discernible difference in play calling and, and just the way the speed of the guys playing, like what changed? I'd like to know uh, if there's something yeah. that they can detect on tape because it's really fascinating. Um, my opinion is they got their backs to the wall and they, you know, they needed a spark. And they got mm-hmm. it with that 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 pass to Hyatt to start the second half. I think lit this. It just lit the spark that they needed. It gave them what they needed, and then they took off from there. And I, I really yeah. feel like if they didn't have that connection, they were just going to get run over in this game. So it was it was a huge moment to have, and it just shows you the importance of like that one play sometimes. And I, and I'll say this team last year was a second half team. They weren't last week, but th- they were a second half team last year and. You start to see it again. Um, I think that's something that we'll continue to see m- moving forward, despite not seeing that we won. Um, hopefully, yeah. play better than we have the f- first half. These first Absolutely. couple. Absolutely. All right. I think that's sort of it. Unless you have any other thoughts. Um, wild, wild not- day. Yeah, nothing specific. I'm sure we'll have us a little bit more thoughts at the beginning of uh, our episode later this week. But um, once we get a little bit more time to digest all this instant reaction i think for the most part that's all i have yep that's it for us uh tune in later this week i'm not sure what day we're doing it because of the whole giants playing on thursday might screw up our schedule a little bit we'll try to get it done before then hopefully um but this week we're tapping into the interior offensive line players of the upcoming draft um something that is you know obviously getting to be important for us uh, so hopefully we, we, we identify some players that, that the Giants might find interesting coming up in the draft. So look out for the next episode, episode four of Interior Offensive Line uh, for of He's a Giant. Again, we always do this late. Thank you to everybody who tunes in um, for all your support, uh, for, for your views, your subscriptions. Thanks for liking us. Thanks for the five stars. Uh, keep tuning in. Give us feedback on whatever you like. A lot of you have given us names of players you want us to go over, and we're definitely keeping a list of them. Um, and we're going to have some pretty cool stuff planned. What our goal is right now is to get through what has become 11 position groups um, and try to get through as many players in these position groups as possible. So we have hopefully gone through what amount to like 70 to 80 draftable prospects um, that we're all looking at. And hopefully you guys can tap into that during the season and hopefully during draft season and we'll obviously up, update it and stuff. But we're going to keep doing the work and getting through these guys. So hope for those of you who are yep. interested, just keep tuning in. Um, otherwise, thanks. Thank you guys. Uh, we got a short week coming up for a game. I'll leave it at that. I'm going to wish you guys a good night. Monty, you have any closing words? Nope. Just, uh, you know, thank you guys all. And I know a lot of you guys have messaged us about this interior lineup. So, so we're looking forward to getting it out to you guys. Absolutely. Maybe a little bit less so tonight, but we'll still get yeah. so we, we still need some help. All yep. right, guys. That's it for us. He's a giant. We will see you in a few days. Have a good night. See you in a few days, guys.